We start with the growing hype and speculation about a looming federal election in Canada. Speaking of Trudeau, this seems to have gone from a will he or won't he question to when will he trigger an election in Canada? And is it a wise thing to do here now? The fourth wave of the pandemic going on. Let's check in with Don Davies now, NDP MP from British Columbia, Vancouver Kingsway. He's the NDP health critic. I'm pleased to welcome him back. Don, thank you for coming on. Good morning, Mike. Great to be with you. Yeah, you, get, you got your running shoes on? You're ready for an election here? Do you think that's what's coming? <laughs> well, unfortunately, I do, and, and it, it's really a shame. I mean, you asked if it was wise to have an election. I, I don't know about that, Mike, but I do, I do know it's unnecessary. Yeah. You know, and, and frankly, uh, it's been our, our party's position that, you know, the economy needs attention. People's health needs attention. We're in the beginning, uh, you know, well into it, the beginning of a fourth wave that uh, we, we, we think Canadians would rather have us go back to Ottawa and, and, and work together to address those important issues than go to a needless election. Okay, your party leader, Jagmeet Singh, uh, released a letter saying that he, he feels that an election call right now is selfish. He agrees with you that an election should not be called right now because of the pandemic. I mean... What are, what are your thoughts on that? Like, how does the how does the pandemic right now affect the election timing in your mind? Well, I, I agree with Jagmeet uh, Singh on this, and um, you know, again, we it's quite clear. I think you know, public health officers around the country have made it clear that we're in the the early stages, maybe the mid stages of a, a fourth wave with the Delta variant. You know, we got a lot of kids going back to school. It's starting to affect kids under twelve. So, the the, the real question, Mike, is why do why have an election now you know it's been about 20 months since the last one uh so mr trudeau enjoys the confidence of at least one party in the house of commons on any particular issue and i don't think canadians want an election now i think the liberals want one because they see a chance for a majority and they're putting their partisan interests really ahead of i think the health and economic interests of canadians i don't think that's right well, that's ever thus in politics, though, right? I mean, clearly he's looking at the opinion polls and he, he's got an itchy trigger finger. He thinks this is the time to go. He thinks he can get a majority out of it. I mean, just like the, the, the provincial NDP last year when they called a provincial election, right? It was the same thing. I mean, the pandemic was going on then. Yeah, there, there are some right? similarities. And the, the, you're right. And, and there's no question that Mr. Trudeau can do it. The question is really whether or not it's wise. And there are some similarities, Mike, for sure, but there are some differences. I mean, the B.C. government yeah. was in their third year of a four-year term. Um, you know, that, that was a heck of a lot further on. And, and by the way, at the time they called it, we were not in any kind of wave uh, at the time. So they slipped that election in before there was uh, that, that second wave it hit. But we are in the middle of a... Uh, of an impending fourth wave now, so I well, think the circumstances are a bit a bit different. Well, I don't. Similar. I mean, come on. Well, John Horgan had a deal with the Green Party. He had a, a governing agreement with them, and the Green Party promised them in writing that they would not bring the government down. There was there was no need for for a provincial election last year. But let me, let me play this here for you, Don. Get your thoughts on it. And speaking of federal leader Jugmeet Singh, now when the provincial election was called last year, and the NDP were trying to were going for a majority despite a pandemic going on. Jugmeet Singh was actually went out and campaigned for, for John Horgan. So let me play a clip here for you. Here's here's your leader, Jugmeet Singh, on the on the election campaign trail just last year. I'm hanging out with Katrina Chen here in Burnaby. She's amazing, passionate. The child care, she's been behind it, fighting for you. Katrina, how do you feel? I'm feeling great, especially with you here and uh, voting for me. Thank yes, you, Jugmeet. I just Okay, so there he is campaigning last year in the middle of a pandemic 
he didn't have any problems with it when it was the NDP going for a majority, but now he says it's selfish to call one in an election. Well, certainly once an election's called, I mean, you know, everybody's going to campaign as hard as they can, and, uh, you know, everybody's always in it, in it to win it. And, you know, Mike, uh, obviously every politician always seeks to improve their situation, and I think there's a similarity there with the Oregon call and the Trudeau call, but I still think there are a yeah. couple of critical differences. <laughs> you know, it is, yeah. like, we, we had our last election in October 2019. You know, we're, we're not even at the two-year mark. Right. And uh, and we are in the middle of, of a fourth wave. That was, Those were not the case back then. And uh, the Horgan government was going to have an election at some point during the pandemic, whether it was the third year or fourth year. So the well, question back was... Then, back then, we were in the second wave. wave. We were in the second wave of the pandemic. Hadn't hit yeah. yet, though. That was expected oh. in the fall, but it hadn't hit quite yet. So okay. um, anyway, that's, uh, you know, it's there are some similarities. I grant you that, but... Um, I, I do think we have a chance to do something right here, and that is is to to not call an unnecessary election. And and I I think even if other parties and circumstances didn't make the the same call differently, doesn't mean we should shouldn't do the right thing now. What about the? I, I think one of the reasons Trudeau wants to go now is perhaps run on his record on the uh, pandemic response. I mean, there was a lot of criticism in the early days of the pandemic about how the federal government was responding to it, but now you've got a very high vaccination rate across the country, and maybe things have changed, and perhaps Trudeau sees it as the pandemic response as a political positive for him. I mean, you're the NDP health critic. You've been very critical of the government's response to this pandemic, certainly in the early stages, but do you think they, would you be willing to acknowledge that it's kind of turned around for him? Uh, to some degree, yes, Mike. I, I would acknowledge that they, they did a good job in the end in, in procuring vaccines. And uh, some of that was uh, skill. Some of that was luck. You know, the, the world did develop a vaccine at an extraordinary pace. And uh, we bought lots of them. And uh, thankfully, a lot of Canadians are vaccinated. But we have to remember as well, Mike, if you go back to the beginning, uh, this government and ones before them were not well prepared for this. We, we, we had a shortage of PPE, personal protective equipment for healthcare workers. We didn't have enough ventilators in this country. Um, our emergency stockpile was a disaster. Um, you know, there, there were a lot of things that were not well done. So on, on procuring vaccines, I give the government a good mark. But on the rest of it, I, I don't think they did a particularly good job. What, what would you say should be the top of mind issue for voters if we are plunged into an election here in the days ahead, as many people expect? Well, I think there's, there's five key. One is the, our economic recovery. I think that's, that's going to be, you know, obviously a lot of people lost jobs, Mike, and, and a lot of businesses have suffered. And we have to. We have, a, we have a chance to rebuild better. I think health care is going to be important in a way that it hasn't in other elections. You know, Canadians relied on our public health care system, and we have a chance to, to strengthen it and build it. I think the climate crisis is obviously on people's minds. I mean, B.C. is racked with wildfires. We, we simply can't delay on that any longer. Affordable housing is critical because if you don't have a home, uh, you know, it's very difficult to participate in life. And finally, I think Indigenous justice with, with the right. discovery of the mass graves and uh, unmarked graves, I should say, um, are things that are all going to be major issues in this election. Okay, I, su- I suspect an election is coming, and I look forward to talking to you again once it's called. Thanks for coming on today. Mike, always a pleasure. Stay well. All right, welcome back to the show. This is Mike Smith, and we turn now to the sentence handed down yesterday by a court in China to Canadian businessman Michael Spavor, of course, one of the two Michaels, Along with Canadian Michael Kovrig, they were arrested, jailed, and tried on dubious espionage charges 
widely seen as retaliation against Canada's arrest of Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou. Her extradition hearing set to start in Vancouver. That is no coincidence. Now the sentence has been imposed on Michael Spavor. 11 years in prison for espionage. Let's discuss now with my guest, Charles Burton, senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute. He is an expert on China. Charles, thanks for coming on once again. Good to speak with you, Mike. It's great to have you back. Let me get your first reaction, first of all, to the sentence, 11 years in jail. Is that roughly what you expected to hear? It is, yeah. That's the normal sort of range, uh, 10 to 12, for foreigners who are accused of espionage in China. So the sentence itself was uh, was nothing out of the ordinary. I think that it does set the stage for possible deportation in the, under the Chinese system. They normally deport uh, foreigners who are accused of these serious crimes only after they have been sentenced. So, you know, it opens up the possibility that we'll see uh, Kovic uh, and Staver back uh, once they've been sentenced. The question is, when? Did Michael Spavor receive anything close to resembling a, a fair trial or due process here? Oh, God, no. I mean, you know, I, I know Michael Spavor. There's no way that this guy is involved in somehow or other getting hold of state secrets that he can sell to to foreign governments, as the Chinese allege. Um, no. You know, and they provided no genuine evidence. They say he took some photographs at an airport. Uh, it doesn't amount to much to me. So, uh, you know, I think the fact that they are unable to come up with any convincing reason for holding him, you know, affirms the idea that we've always thought that he was arbitrarily picked up in retaliation for the extradition um, detainment of the Huawei CFO Meng Wanzhou, the Chinese government thinking that if they if they did this to uh, uh, an innocent Canadian, that somehow or other our government would decide to not follow the terms of our extradition treaty with the United States and let Miss Meng go back to China. A thousand days almost later, that's I think the Chinese are figuring out that that's not how it's going to pan out for them. Right, I mean, it's clearly hostage diplomacy has been widely recognized ar- around the world, and the Chinese yeah. state has all but admitted that this is p- tried to put effort on Canada on the on the Meng Wanzhou case, and we see the Meng Wanzhou extradition hearing set to start in Vancouver. I mean, the timing is no coincidence, right? Yeah, I think uh, you know there are very few coincidences in the Chinese Communist Party. I think that maybe the Chinese are hoping that if Justice Holmes um, rules that the extradition is um, is valid, that you know that the U.S. has has uh, complied with the terms of our extradition treaty, that maybe um, our Minister of Justice uh, Lametti would at that stage intervene and say the extradition would not be in Canada's national interests and um, and allow Ms. Meng to return to Beijing. I think, judging by the statements that we've seen, particularly by Foreign Minister Garneau this morning, that Canada is not likely to go that route and seems to be hoping that the United States can strike some sort of deferred prosecution agreement with the Huawei company, whereby Huawei would pay an enormous fine and Ms. Meng would acknowledge some culpability and the matter would be dropped. I think the thing is that, you know, the U.S. are probably keen to get Ms. Meng into uh, the, the custody of the Eastern New York court because, you know, she'd be facing many decades potentially of incarceration and they might be able to induce her to do a plea bargain and come clean on any relationship that the Huawei company has with Chinese military intelligence or security agencies. 
that would um, you know convince other nations of the world that uh, putting the Huawei 5G technology into their telecommunication systems would be a, a, a danger to their national security. You know, Canada has still not made a decision on whether we're going to allow the Huawei 5G software and hardware solutions to be installed into the Bell and TELUS networks. And right. I think the U.S. would like us to make that decision and to decide that Huawei is just not a trustworthy partner for a country like Canada. Speaking to China analyst Charles Burton, we have the other Michael of the two Michaels, Michael Kovrig, uh, also incarcerated in China. And earlier this week, we saw a Chinese court uphold a death sentence imposed on another Canadian, Robert Schellenberg, for drug trafficking. Again, it seems to be no coincidence with the Meng Wanzhou extradition process reaching a climax here. Are Canadians safe in China? Like, Are Canadians on the ground in China? Are they at risk of also being dragged into this? I think that's possible, and I mean, even um, if we send our Canadian athletes to Beijing and some of them uh, felt uh, morally obligated to speak out against Chinese uh, genocide in Xinjiang or other um, gross violations of, of human rights, they could well find themselves taken in under Chinese law. So, you know, until the Chinese government um, starts to become compliant with the norms of international diplomacy, and doesn't decide to pick up people arbitrarily or to or to um, imprison um, foreigners for uh, statements that indicate that you know we don't approve of what the Chinese regime is doing. That it's probably unwise for Canadians to go there, uh, you know, unless they have a diplomatic passport. And even if they do, that you know that might be the next step that China will start to uh, start to arrest diplomats, which would you know be another gross violation of the the norms of diplomacy that that allow for peaceful um, engagement between nations. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau today called the sentence handed down to Michael Spavor unacceptable in his words, which seems to suggest that Canada would be willing to somehow retaliate. Is that possible? Can Canada, what can Canada do in response? Well, I wish that we'd done something, you know, as soon as they were brought in. I mean, now that so much there's so much water under the bridge and it's hard for the chinese to say well you know we interrogated them and found that uh, in fact they are not uh, guilty of these uh, crimes and we're going to release them so you know we'd have to provide the chinese government with strong incentive uh, to release kovrikan's favor i think at present the chinese government sees holding kovrikan's favor as working in their interests you know canada's made no decision on 5g we're not cracking down on chinese espionage or Chinese uh, harassment and menacing activities against people in in Canada. We're continuing to to engage in negotiations on on things like climate change. So you know, I'd really like to see us, uh, for one thing, start to uh, declare persona non grata diplomats who are engaged in activities not consistent with their diplomatic status. I think that we've got to stop the the scourge of Chinese fentanyl coming into Canada by saying if the Chinese aren't going to stop it themselves, that we'll have to start inspecting Chinese shipments into our country extremely carefully. And and I think in, in general, we have to, to say to, to China that if you're not going to play by the rules of the game, we're going to retaliate and we won't, uh, we won't engage in, in business with you unless it's fair and reciprocal and that we have some means to ensure that you fulfill the contracts and in terms of the hostage diplomacy, um, you know, we—I I would think that if it was up to me, I would be sending 
the Chinese ambassador back to Beijing and reducing relations to the charge d'affaires uh, level until such time as we see Kovacan's favor back to safety in our country. You know, there are lots of things we could do. Um, our government doesn't seem to be prepared to do any of them. Right. Final question for you, Charles. I, I've interviewed a BC man a few times who went through a similar ordeal. You may be familiar with his case, Kevin Garrett. Um, who was also arrested in China along with his wife and accused of espionage and put on trial and convicted. And soon after his conviction in China and a, a jail sentence was imposed, he was actually deported back to Canada. You mentioned earlier that maybe this could happen to the two Michaels. Once the, the sentence is handed down, perhaps they get sent deported back to Canada. Is, is that possible or are we hopeful of that happening? I'm sure hopeful. I mean, in the case of Kevin, um, you, you know, he was, and his wife Julia, were detained by the Chinese completely without justification because yeah. of uh, of another extradition case. There was a Chinese military espionage person who was present in Canada who was wanted in the United States for, for stealing enormous quantities of Boeing aerospace data. Um, right. That man voluntarily rendered himself to the United States, and so you know, holding Kevin and Julie any longer didn't make much sense. So not too long after Mr. Subin, this person in question, left Canada, they decided to, to charge uh, Kevin, lay down the sentence, and then a couple of days later he was uh, on a business class uh, seat returning to Canada. So, you know, I'm hoping that we'll see some movement on Kovacan's favor. I, I think one thing that gives me a lot of um, consolation is that Mr. Favor told um, Ambassador Barton yesterday that he is grateful for all of our support, that uh, he is in good spirits, and, of course, he wants to come home. So, you know, it seems that he's a very resilient man who's showing a great deal of strength under appallingly difficult right. conditions. and. You know, much to his credit, and I sure hope he's back here in Canada uh, before long. I certainly agree with you, Charles. Thank you for coming on today. It's good to speak with you, Mike. All right, welcome back to the show. Here we go again now with another major heat wave set to hit the province. Environment Canada has issued a heat warning for many parts of southern B.C. Temperature is expected to climb starting today through sunday you already see officials here now taking steps to warn the public and to get ready in response to another heat wave you heard in your newscast there burnaby police stepping up active patrols checking on people who are vulnerable cooling centers opening up in many municipalities coming up this afternoon there is a news conference with uh, solicitor general mike farnworth and also public health officer dr bonnie henry to warn the public about this looming heat wave here remember last time with the heat dome in June, we had hundreds of sudden deaths in the province. The government took a lot of heat here, so to speak, over their failure to really sort of adequately warn people and get people up to speed about the threat from that heat wave. I don't think they want to make that same mistake. So we see more public warnings here and officials uh, uh, putting up warnings to the public here about this heat wave. Let's get the latest on it now with Kasia Badurka, a meteorologist with Global News. I'm very pleased to welcome Hi. her. Hi, Kasha. Hi, good morning. Thanks a lot for coming yeah. on. Uh, yeah, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. What's the latest? Uh, well, the latest is uh, here we go again, as you had said. This is the third 
uh, heat wave for the South Coast this summer, and that we've never seen before. So unprecedented is the word of the year or the past two years, and we're saying it again. It's applicable here. Um, there are some years where we don't get any heat waves, so uh, this is really something uh, something else. So today we're at 25 near the water and 30 away from it. Uh, that's going to be for coastal sections. The heat warning was put in effect yesterday, and it's going to be in place well into Sunday. Sunday we'll start to see a change in temperatures, but as you had mentioned, dangerous heat really. We've got daytime highs that are good, 10 degrees above seasonal for coastal sections, and this extends all the way up north to inland sections of the north coast. So even Terrace is going to be looking at temperatures of 30. Uh, but back to Metro Vancouver, 30 uh, away from the water and then feeling closer to 36, and that's just today. Tomorrow is going to feel closer to 40 degrees. Uh, that's going to be for uh, places closer to the uh, the valley. It's going to be hot. And what really is dangerous are the overnight lows. Of course, our area, a lot of people don't have their AC. I don't have air conditioning, so <laughs> overnight lows are stifling. Yeah. You know, only 18, 19 degrees, and that's that's just not enough to cool down the body. So this is dangerous, as you had mentioned. And, you know, when I was talking about this on, on camera, I didn't want to say this um, I don't want to be a fear monger, but yeah. of all weather phenomenon, uh, people die the most from heat. So it's uh, it's really something to uh, take seriously. Yeah, no, I don't think that's fear mongering at all. I mean, that's uh, yeah. just stating a fact. I mean, when we take a look at what happened in June with the heat dome, you had over yeah. 800 sudden deaths in the province, and most of them wild. attributable to the to that heat dome. I mean, this is absolutely tragic. Uh, outcome that we saw in that that heat wave that we saw last month like when you take a look at the the heat dome that we had in in june kasha is this a similar kind of phenomenon or what's driving this one a similar setup. Really, it's it's just a very strong ridge of high pressure, and that's what the heat dome was referring to. Just to, it was just another way of saying this is a very strong, high pressure ridge that's going to be prolonged. It's not going to be as long lasting as last time, nor is it as strong, but it's still very intense. So it is the same phenomenon. It's just very high pressure. You've got really warm temperatures funneling in from the states as well. Of course, they're uh, experiencing it as well. Uh, dry conditions. The one saving grace, but it's a double-edged sword, are uh, some stronger winds. So near the water, we're seeing 20 to 40 kilometer per hour winds coming in from the northwest. So that could create a little bit of a cooler breeze for us. So going to the beach is a good idea, provided you're social distancing. We're even getting that breeze for interior sections both today and tomorrow. Um, so on the one hand, it's it could be fanning the flames, so that's not a good thing. But on the other, it's also clearing out the air mass a little bit. So um, the breeze is kind of making things conditions feel a little bit cooler. And I wanted to mention, if you're under very thick smoke, which areas directly downwind from the fires, you know, they're seeing the thicker smoke in the air mass, you're not going to feel those temperatures as much. But Kelowna, Kamloops are going to be really hot as well, right? A special weather statement in place over there. Uh, so, I mean, by your Saturday, Kamloops will be 37 degrees. Oh, my goodness. Okay, is it going yeah. to be a dry heat, or do we get some humidity there making it feel even hotter, too? Yeah, coastal sections, definitely some some humidity. So add, you know, from the temperatures that you see when you check your app or whatever, um, we're saying 25 by the water, but it's going to be feeling closer to 30, 31 degrees. Inland today, 
Add, yeah, add a good five, six degrees on all of the temperatures that you're going to be seeing. So, like I said, tomorrow is going to be the, he- the peak of the heat for Metro Vancouver, where inland sections will be feeling like 40 or 41. Oh, my uh, goodness. That. But, yeah, the humidity really adds that uh, intensity, whereas for interior sections, it's, it's a dry heat. Okay, so and how long, manageable. how long is this going to last? Yeah, it's going to start to moderate out. The, the ridge starts to break down a little bit come Sunday with a high, with a, sorry, a low pressure system that's trying to make into the, its way into the area. By Monday, some of us here is hoping that we do get some precipitation and temperatures are going to feel much cooler for the whole province come Monday. Right. But we've still got a few days to go. And yeah. people should be careful because we've seen the danger that these type of heat waves can pose in our province with tragic results. And the risks yeah. can be greater for, for some people. I mean, like young children, like older adults, like who else should be, who else would you say, yeah. Kasia, should be caught, particularly cautious here? Right. Pregnant women, anybody yeah. with respiratory issues, uh, heart conditions, anybody who's predisposed to, yeah, any of these kind of um, vulnerabilities, if you asthma that type yeah. of thing. The elderly, check on, you know, the older folks in your neighborhood. Go knock on their doors, see how they're doing, um, and then encourage them to go into cooling centers, especially on, along coastal sections. I know a lot of folks in the interior, they have their AC, and thank goodness for that, whereas over the coast, not so much. Um, so check in on these people, take them to a cooler cooling center, or invite them over if you have the uh, the air conditioning. Take them out to a restaurant, you know, find that cooler place to be especially in those high times of the day right the the daytime highs are usually experienced around five and that's when you also get you know 5 p.m you get that radiation heat also coming from the concrete it's just so hot at that time of day so early morning if you want to go outside and take your walk or whatever um early morning even late night it starts to be a little bit okay but you still have that heat from the day uh but yeah check in on all those people so many people are vulnerable to this type of weather dogs animals your pets right Uh, The concrete gets so hot, I I don't even take my dog on walks in these kind of days. Or I just, I'll carry her until we get to the park, (laughs) because the grass is fine, but the concrete is just, you know, it it burns their little pads. Yes, yes. So, yeah, so many people are affected by this weather. It's so true. Okay, great advice there, Kasia. Thanks for coming on with the update. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, welcome back to the show. Did you ever know someone who had a pig as a pet? Remember when that started getting popular a few years ago? People started keeping those miniature pigs as pets. Like pot-bellied pigs were one of the varieties there. My next guest now has a story to share with you about his family's pet pig. And I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Eli Gagne lives in Chilliwack, and I'm very pleased to welcome him. Hi, Eli. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Eli. Thanks a lot for doing this. Um, Thank you. Tell me about your family's pet pig, Hampson. When did you uh, when did you get uh, Hampson the pig? Uh, we got him uh, two Christmases ago. It was on December the sixteenth, two years ago. Okay, what kind of pig was he? Uh, so he was a potbelly American style pig. Right, and how? What could you describe those? What they're like as pets? <laughs> uh, they're actually very clean. Uh, they're uh, almost hypoallergenic, so if anyone has any kind of allergies to fur or dander or anything like that, they're very good for that because they don't really shed or have fur or skin that comes off. So they're good for that. Uh, He didn't have very high demands at all. He was about the same size as my boxer and Victorian Bulldog. He was about 70, 75 pounds and about the same height as them as well. 
Right, and I saw a picture of uh, Hampson that you you kindly sent over to me, and uh, I noticed like he, he looked like he was eating out of a like a dog dish, just like did he almost like like a dog, like going in and out of the house and that kind of thing. Oh, very much so. Yeah, he yeah. went in and out. He loved joining the dogs. He tried uh, keeping uh, along with them as like he was part of the pack. He was he's known him known both the dogs since he was just a little little baby, right? So he doesn't know anything different, and uh, he was very into his routine. So uh, that picture that that you saw, he was actually having his dinner. Yeah. Uh, he always was brought in for dinner, and then he would go back outside for a little bit to uh, go to the washroom and have some fresh air before going to bed. Wow. Okay. So he was housebroken. Like he go out in the backyard to go to the bathroom. That's right. Yeah. He wow. was completely housebroken uh, when he was a uh, obviously a little piglet. He would have some accidents like a puppy would, but uh, after he gets into routines and knowing things, yeah, they're like I said, they're very clean animals. He never wanted to mess yeah. in his kennel or in the house. It was very rare. Right, and they're smart too, right, pigs? Extremely smart and extremely intelligent. Um, they're also very sensical creatures as well, so they have a lot of feelings, uh, and, and they express them as well. That's why they make their noise, uh, you know, even when they're upset. They'll even uh, have a different kind of squeal or cry, and they actually have tears that come out of their, their tear ducts. Um, and they're very loyal and trusting after they get to know you for a while. Uh, yeah. They'll recognize up to uh, what I do believe about 30 different faces, and they, very, they have very good keenness sense of smell. So they'll know your smell and remember you forever. Right. And you got kids at home, right? Two boys. Two boys? Did, yeah. they, what did, they, did they love the pig? Oh, yeah. Yeah, my son even actually posted, uh, he didn't actually tell me uh, right away to my face how much it upset him, uh, and then he went downstairs to uh, just do whatever he wanted to do, and then I saw a post on Facebook just shortly afterwards about how upset he was about losing the pig and posted pictures of him. Okay, okay, Eli, let's talk about what happened here now. Uh, sure. you, got, you got, what, a visit from Animal Control there in Chilliwack? Like, what happened here? Uh, so it actually wasn't even a visit. Uh, I got a phone call. Um, it made it sound like they actually wanted to uh, discuss with me about something about Hampson. Uh, just wanted basically to get verification. I, I owned a mini pig, uh, a neighbor of mine who just one of those ones that uh, likes to stick their nose where it don't belong. Decided to phone animal control and let them know that I had uh, a mini pig in my backyard and um, animal control uh, called me to verify if I had one. And I said, yes, I did. And basically on that phone call, said that I had seven days to remove them from my home or they were going to find me $100 a day until it happened. Okay, and this is because, and I spoke to um, some of the animal control officials there in Chilliwack about this, about your case, and they said this was because you're not allowed to keep a pig in Chilliwack. Is that right? Yeah, so uh, they've, because of poor wording in a bylaw for Chilliwack, it says no livestock is allowed within city limits of Chilliwack. Um which I can understand. I mean, we're so close to the ALR, it's not even funny, but I mean, I understand I'm still within city limits. However, he's not livestock, he's a pet. If you look under the definition of what livestock is, other than his actual species name, it doesn't fall qualify. I even phoned and contacted a few different farms who would maybe take him on, and they wouldn't because he isn't considered livestock because they can't use him for any kind of farming uh, uh, business that they have. Yeah. Okay. So, when you were told that Hampson had to go, um, did you immediately like like break the bad news to your kids that you got to get rid of the pet pet pig, or did you did you try to appeal it or fight it, or what happened? Uh, so I was trying to appeal it and fight it in yeah. in in the within the process. 
there were a couple of people that offered to be able to take him on or house him until I have uh, everything sorted out with bylaw and animal control. Yeah. At the end of the day, what I wanted to do was be a law-abiding citizen, regardless of whether I agreed with the bylaws or not. The way it's worded now, I really didn't have a lot of choice because they did say after seven days, they basically fear-mongered me into believing that if I didn't get a new home for him in seven days, that I would be charged $100 a day, which is essentially roughly $40,000 a year. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, um, that's basically what they said. $40,000 a year, they'll leave me alone. doesn't matter how many phone calls that come in about the, the mini pig at all or complaining about Hamson. They would leave me alone for $40,000 a year. Okay. Well, I think that's probably obviously not an option for the vast majority of people. So I know that you you did decide to rehome him, right? Can you tell me what happened? Yes, I did. So I did have... Um, some some friends within my circle that were willing to take him on uh, permanently or temporarily, depending on how things go, because I am looking into changing the bylaw. So we uh, brought him up there. It was just past Kelowna uh, for his new home. And um, he was, you know, quite upset getting him into a kennel to travel, and he was quite upset while traveling. They don't like to travel too much. Uh, got him there. And unfortunately, four hours after he arrived there, he had heart failure and passed away. Okay, I'm very sorry to hear that outcome. So do you think that he, that Hampson the pig passed away from the, the stress of this move? Yeah, it's, it's uh, definitely no doubt about it. It's no coincidence that he happened to pass just hours after he got to his new home on the same day that he was rehomed. Wow, wow. Wow, okay, I, know, I, I imagine that's been tough for you and your family. Uh, extremely tough. Uh, we've been, you know, pretty much crying almost every single day, and we're trying to keep going forward. Uh, it's, it was really traumatizing. Uh, it was bad enough already that it was that we had to rehome him without having much choice or much of a timeline to find him a decent place, maybe even closer to where we live, so we can continue to visit him and 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 do whatever we can for him in the meantime. And then find out an hour after I got home, got a phone call saying that he didn't make it. Wow. Do you think that um, the local zoning laws and bylaws there in Chilliwack are unfair? Uh, I think in general that, uh, you know, our province in general is, is overgoverned. And sometimes, like in this case, the intent of the bylaw was not to victimize uh, an innocent animal or an owner uh, guardian of, of a mini pig to force them into rehoming them. The, the intent was something completely different. And that's due to poor wording, and that happens quite a lot. And that's why I'm looking to changing the bylaws because with this overgoverning, it's just up to it's just open to interpretation. My interpretation is different to that bylaw than animal controls. And um, hopefully, based on results and what's gone on here, we can make a change. Why did your neighbor complain? I mean, was the pig causing problems, making noise, or making a smell no. or something? No, there is no smell. Uh, there is no noise. I mean, they can obviously he'll have a squeal or something like that. It's so different than having a dog barking or something like that. But he didn't make an excessive amount of noise. We have neighbors that even said that they often forgot that we even had a pig until he would be in the front yard or take him for a walk because they didn't even hear him or anything while he was outside. Um, it was just one of those cases where, unfortunately, there's been ongoing issues with the same neighbor unrelated to even um, Hampson. Uh, there was a false report made, uh, unfortunately, by them 
about one of my dogs. I had it actually on security camera, on video and audio with them on it physically there, no denying that they said that it was not my dog that was on their property. And animal control still yet came to try and give me a ticket for a dog at large, and that took me three weeks to fight. And I finally got a, a letter of apology from animal control for making a mistake. All right, Eli, thank you for sharing the story. I'm sorry it had a sad ending, um, and we'll continue to follow it. Please let us know if you get anywhere with trying to fight that bylaw in Chilliwack. I'd like to get an update from you if you if you do pursue that. And I'm I'm sorry that uh, I'm sorry about what happened to Hampson the pig. And uh, appreciate you sharing the story, though. Thank you. Thank you for helping me share the story. All right, welcome back to the show. Well, you heard the sad story there of Hampson the pig in Chilliwack. I spoke to owner Eli Gagne there. He owned the, the pet pig there, Hampson. They called him Hammy. Uh, he ran around the backyard. He said it was like a, basically like a dog, this miniature pit, uh, pet pig they had. And he had to get rid of the pig because of uh, animal control bylaws there in Chilliwack. And he said, sadly, uh, Hampson died shortly after being uh, rehomed uh, to a home in the interior. I guess Pig just couldn't take the stress, it sounds like, from the move. Let me check in and out with Camille Labchuk now, animal rights lawyer, executive director, animaljustice.ca. Hi, Camille. Hi, Mike. Hi, Camille. I know you heard that interview. What do you think of this case? Oh, it's so sad. It's really yeah, I know. heartbreaking to think of how Hampson must have felt being taken away from his family and not understanding why. And then, of course, what Eli and his family had to endure losing Hampson first from their home and then from their lives altogether. Yeah, but do you think it's okay to have a pig as a pet, or is that reasonable? Or, well, potbelly pigs are quite a popular pet in Canada, and unfortunately, right. um, this is not the first time a bylaw issue like this has come up and resulted in families being ripped apart. Now, I appreciate that there may be some reasons to have bylaws restricting the types of animals that can be kept. For instance, I don't think it's appropriate for anyone to keep exotic animals, um, and I yeah. think that we do have a serious problem when it comes to breeding um, potbelly pigs, uh, that there, there's far too many of them, and many of them end up in sanctuaries or sometimes killed for no good reason. So restricting breeding would be one thing, but ripping families apart, I just don't see the good in that. You, you think that family should have been allowed to keep the pig in Chilliwack? Yes. Yeah, I don't see any good reason why, why they should have been separated. Obviously, Hampson doesn't sound like he was causing any harm to the community. He was a member of that family. And I think this also challenges the conception of who is food and who's a pet. Thinking mm. of animals just because they're pigs as livestock and food animals, I don't think that's really the way that uh, a lot of people are increasingly seeing animals. We think, um, you know, sometimes that chickens can be companions to live with people and that cows mm. can be as well at sanctuaries. And so I think it's important to break down this binary between some animals we eat and some we keep as pets. Okay, let's fit in a couple of phone calls here to see what people think. Reg on the line in Burnaby. Hi, Reg. What do you think? Oh, hi, Mike. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Well, sure. I've got to say, I, my heart's breaking for Eli and his family. I just couldn't believe listening to that story and that poor, that poor animal being relocated in the trauma. I, that's yeah. awful. But I had an experience when I lived in Richmond and my family was young. We had a black lab that I don't think barked very much. I, and, 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 of course, uh, there was a neighbor, don't know who it was in the neighborhood, would put notes on our door to, hey, your dog's barking, you know, and this and that. And it got worse and worse until one night came back from a dinner and there was a huge rock holding down a note at the front door of the house saying, you know, your dog is barking and, you know, we're going to slice the dog up. And oh. We're gonna, oh, yeah, it was really, I, I had phoned the police, Mike, and yeah. uh, got them in, I got them involved because that was sort of a threat. 
Yeah. And uh, the police came around, and he walked around the neighborhood one day while the dog was on the porch, and he spent about a half an hour in the neighborhood, and he said, the dog saw me, didn't, didn't say a word, didn't bark at all in the half an hour I was here. I, I believe you guys. You've obviously got a problem. Anyway, the long story short, I moved. I, I, I got wow. out of there because my family was young, and I didn't even want the kids growing up in an environment where there was somebody out there with a grudge for some reason. Yeah, okay, Reg, thank you for sharing that story. I, I don't know, Camille, I mean, sometimes you get neighbors who are just not happy. Like, I'm trying to be totally honest in my feeling on this. Like, I'm just wondering how I would feel if I saw a pig running around the yard in the house next to me. I, I'm not sure how I'd respond to that, but what do you think? Oh, I'd be pretty happy. I think would they're you? actually okay. pretty cool animals. They're as smart <laughs> right. as dogs or smarter, some would say. They can play video games that they're trained to do it. What? Video um, games? As Eli what? pointed out, they're super clean animals. They have yeah. amazing personalities. So I would actually love to have a pig living next door to me. <laughs> okay. Claire in Maple Ridge. Claire, you got about 30 seconds here, okay? Okay. I just want to say I'm really sorry for the family for losing their pet. Yeah. Um, I just find it amazing that some people just don't understand uh, that animals do have feelings. Many don't. Um, It's just a really sad story, and uh, I really feel for the family. Claire, thank you for the call. Yeah, it's one of those situations where, you know, you've got these bylaws on the books, and I spoke to Animal Control about it, and they said, look, they felt obligated. They had to take action because the, the law is the law. Like, do you think that municipal bylaws should be changed Camille, to allow a a pet pig in a municipal setting? We have 30 seconds here. Well, clearly there's a problem in this case. I think they should look at changing the laws. I also think that um, bylaw officers have a lot of discretion in what they decide to do. Law enforcement agents use their discretion every single day. Mike, do you know how many things out there are an offense (laughs) that people just don't get charged with because of law enforcement discretion? If there was ever a case for discretion, this was it. Camille, thanks for coming on today. Thank you.